Hi everyone, my name is Mel Hogan and I'm a critical media studies scholar based in Canada. I'm working on a project called The Data Fix through a series of conversations with scholars, thinkers, and feelers. And together we explore the significance of living in a world of data and especially the growing trend of digital humans in the form of chatbots, holograms, deepfakes, AI images and videos, and even tech that revives the dead. The conversations are minimally edited and serve as an archive of the collective thinking and feeling that is going into the Datafix project. Please see thedatafix.net for more details and show notes. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Sarah T. Roberts. I'm an associate professor of gender studies, information studies, and labor studies at the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA. And I'm the faculty director and co-founder, um, along with Sophia Noble, of the Center for Critical Internet Inquiry at UCLA, C2I2, uh, where I work with Dr. Stacy Wood, who's our research director, and with uh, a number of uh, interesting and talented graduate students and others. Uh, so thanks for having me. Uh, I am more than excited to have you on um, as the first guest of this new podcast series. Um, I guess in the interest of uh, full disclosure, uh, Sarah Roberts and I have been friends and collaborators for a long time. Uh, so this feels extra, extra special uh, to me. Yeah, I appreciate being able to talk to you um, uh, for the simple reason that uh, we always talk about these new emerging topics together and usually fairly early on as they appear. And what is nice about that is that often whichever person does the reaching out first, sharing of an article, sharing of a thing that is breaking, whatever, we're both like, both have the same reaction of what the hell and also, oh no. Uh, and then we both kind of like see it breaking down um, in various disturbing ways, in similar ways. Um, so if, if anything, I feel like that is a, <laughs> that's like a, a helpful reality check on me that I'm not the only one who is constantly just like, what in the hell are these new scary technologies, which, you know, by the way, for the listeners, I mean, neither of us are Luddites. We're both very technologically savvy. We've both um, professionally been working with technology for years. Um, we also have other interests and skills, but it's not like we're, uh, like we started from a place of all technology is bad or something. So I, I think, um, that's an important distinction because one of the things that is implicit in, in all the work that we both do, whether it's, together or independently, but still in dialogue with each other is that what we're talking about, in fact, is a series of choices and decisions that get made. And um, they are hardly inevitable. Uh, and they are usually made without the appropriate input of, um, you know, parties who may be, um, parties who may be, uh, uh, affected in any, you know, in, in kind of in a significant way. So um, that's kind of like an interesting undercurrent too, I think, to all of the conversations we have that um, to a certain extent, we think about the way 
the decisions are made and like the humans behind those decisions and the, their impacts on things like the environment or um, on communities, um, people as workers or however they come to the table. So um, I think that's an interesting thread and a way that, you know, we're coming to yet another emergent topic. And I did express to you some trepidation before because I felt like, oh, I lack expertise in this area. But the fact is that, you know, that's probably splitting hairs a bit. So there were three things that you just said that I want to pick up on. One is that link to your expertise, which has been, uh, among many other things, that link to content moderation, uh, commercial content moderation. Um, so I want to circle back to that. Um, and then there was, you know, at the, at the very beginning, you said we're sort of drawn to these things that are um, scary, disturbing, problematic. And I'm very, very interested in this project at sort of those, um, the feelings we have about technology, the feelings that like the sort of sense and like, I guess the affective registers of these technologies. So I don't want that to be sort of a side uh, thing to this. I kind of mm -hmm. want that to be a focus to circle back on. And then uh, the final point that you made about how a lot of our current technological situation is really a series, you know, made material through a series of um, decisions, investments, and, uh, and sort of these these kind of like uh, really intentional designs, right? So they're not natural. They're not by any means the internet, for example, how it looks today is not just how it had to look or be or feel or be used or um, determined, right? So I, I'm really interested in those three facets. So maybe if we want to start just with, you know, this morning when I was thinking that we were going to talk, I thought it's really interesting in relation to content moderation, given, you know, what we're sort of seeing happen with um, AI, um, this, this, this sort of like these huge data sets that are generating essentially what a human might, it's way more complicated than this, but I'm just going to sort of like, um, do these sort of general terms just to ask my question. But in terms of content moderation for a long time, the idea was to moderate extremely violent, extremely problematic, usually racist, misogynist, uh, homophobic content from the internet. I'm sure I'm missing stuff because like we're so we're so sheltered in some sense from what is being moderated. And you know all about this and the trauma that comes from doing the moderation. Um, but I was thinking, is there also a link with what we're seeing now with a kind of moderation of the real from the not real. And I know the internet is already full of bots, which I think is part of moderation. Mm -hmm. It's already full of like fake sort of contributions, whether it's comments on news articles or fake accounts. But I'm just wondering if there's a link between or like a, a new kind of moderation that's going to be required for parsing out real from fake. And I know that even those terms are a little bit iffy in this realm. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. And first of all, I, I concur with your your kind of framing of those threads, and I think they're they're relevant here because I think um, one way we might pick this up in terms of moderation is to think about feeling and affect and how people relate to concepts and terms like authenticity versus inauthenticity or real versus fake, um, uh, truthful versus a lie, 
and and I think about that because those issues and that dichotomy um, between essentially like what I think typically we would consider to be fairly binary states of being have in the last years uh, certainly been elided and 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 challenged by uh, authority figures and other people who um, in the past, rightly or wrongly, I think society would have looked to for indicators about where the um, where the line is drawn between those two things. So, of course, I'm referring to the political situation in the United States where we had uh, in, in a person, an authoritarian president who who employed ambiguity um, and introduced ambiguity around the, these concepts, um, both to um, invalidate arguments or positions or, or truths or realities from other parties, while um, suggesting that his frequent invocation of, of utter lies that were totally provable as such were true. So we're in this weird stage where there's a lot of um, ambiguity around even what, what might constitute authenticity and inauthenticity. And I think that's like a really interesting moment because, of course, we also, speaking of autocrats, have to bring up the purchase of Twitter by Elon Musk, who, um, as an impetus to his purchase, not only said he wanted to eliminate content moderation, which is a bizarre conceptual move, um, and it's a rhetorical move mostly because it's not feasible to do that for a lot of reasons, but um, you know, the least of which is legal mandates. Um, but also he said that he was very concerned about this idea of bots without really articulating what that meant in his mind, but also in a moment in which many in the media and, 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 and other critics pointed out, dude, your millions of users, like some massive percentage of those followers you have are in fact bots, meaning inauthentic accounts, not really controlled by the people they say they're controlled by, um, being used for ulterior motives of all sorts. So I, I really like appreciate the way you're linking um, content moderation to these ideas that are obviously being challenged and troubled by things like AI art generators. Because frankly, I appreciate it because I wouldn't necessarily have connected it in that way because I'm so in the weeds with content moderation these days and talking more, more than I usually do about like the mechanics and the actual, um, the, the actual material realities and the actual implementation having come off some time working at Twitter myself and, you know, with the debacle that's going on. So I think it's really interesting to link those, these, these phenomena and, and to suggest, and we might not know the answer yet, Mel, but that there's a relationship that is there implicitly and that also possibly one element might be used to kind of discipline or police the other or put parameters around it or, or, or be called into the service of discernment in some way or another, although it will be incredibly difficult, most likely, under the current 
circumstances of things like content moderation at scale or what I call commercial content moderation to do that discernment. And then the question might be, is that even a worthwhile activity? Is that an important project? To what end um, does that validation need to occur? Now, that's more of a theoretical framing because obviously there are things where that does need to occur. And the obvious example I would come up with right now, because I can always, I can very easily put my mind in the, in the thinking of the most horrible people on the internet, would be to use an AI art, quote unquote, art generator, or just otherwise image generator, let's say, to manipulate um, imagery with somebody's, with an actual person's face onto a body or some in put it in a situation, et cetera, um, involving like unwanted sexual activity or other kinds of violent um, imagery, of course, with the sexual activity in this case being a form of the violence. So I could see like that being generated and people trying to appeal around that. Most social media platforms, again, just to get technical, have rules against so-called revenge porn. So that wouldn't, it could be culled under those circumstances, but there would be a lot of ambiguity and a lot of gray area around other less obvious examples. You know, just where people's images was being, were being manipulated against their consent, without their consent or, or actively against it. Um, how would content moderators contend with that? I mean, they can barely, they can barely contend with the status quo now. So it would be incredibly hard. And, 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 you know, again, like getting to these questions of like, what is true? What is, what is false? What is real? What is fake? The line is so blurred right now for so many and people, it's as if people almost exist in, in, in concurrent lateral realities where they live within a set of facts and uh, belief systems and claims that frame their daily life that have almost no intersection potentially with someone next to them. Um, so clearly these technologies which are being used you know most obviously to the general public basically for fun we know will not sit there for long they probably didn't start there and they won't end up there so we know that these things pretty quickly go to places like quote unquote defense um you know i've always amused and by amused, I mean gallows humor about the fact that the Department of Defense in the U.S. started out being called what it really is, which is the Department of War. Um, so, you know, these things start getting pretty quickly put into the service of, of, of control, surveillance, um, uh, you know, in some cases, <laughs> summary execution of people in, in war zones, uh, declared or un, et cetera. As, you know, especially and particularly AI technologies, facial recognition technologies, um, imaging technologies of all sorts, uh, other kinds of things that can be used um, 
pretty much to, you know, to any end that humans can dream up, but have, have, you know, can have lethal applications. And so what happens if you can't even trust the source? Like what happens if, you know, these, we don't even know what we're looking at. I, I think, you know, probably what we should do is take that critical eye back to everything rather than just aim it at these like new and emergent technologies and ask that about things that seem a lot more cut and dried, but which which maybe aren't. So I guess I'll leave it there. But um, to me, all of those things seem to be very porous and mutable right now, those concepts. And absolutely the emergent technologies are contributing to that and are also, um, you know, it's not necessarily bad to have those things be questioned or, or be mutable, but I think, um, you know, the application of them is going to be a big part of the question. And again, how would that be contained? Well, I would go back to what I said initially, which is that it, it's not contained now. And I think it's very, um, I think it's like pretty uh, aspirational of you to presume that uh, a lot of content moderation is to take down racist and homophobic material. Um, I mean, is it? I'm not sure how successful that even is. If that's, I'm, I'm being kind of a smart ass right now, because of course, for many people, that is one of the primary goals. But what, you know, what I would want to do first and foremost, is set the stage for everyone to understand that the reason content moderation exists at these companies is not out of a sense of um, like moral responsibility to say trans people. It is out of a desire to control um, the environment, to make it palatable to advertisers, to make it um, uh, less likely to be regulated by the government um, because companies can claim they're doing it themselves and so on. And so all of these user protections that come into play on platforms to various extents, because they don't all have the same, um, they certainly don't agree about what constitutes uh, needing to be dealt with um, or needing to do it at the same level. Um, all of those things come as a secondary effect to the primary, uh, the primary use of content moderation by the company who owns the platform to manage their brand relationships with advertisers in particular. Um, and that is why we've seen them flee en masse from Twitter because Elon Musk was no longer interested in or able to guarantee an environment that was palatable to those advertisers. So, um, you know, I, I always like to take that historical framing um, and, 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 and move people a step back and they're thinking about what content moderation is for and for whom it exists. Um, because like everything else about commercial social media, people who use those products are the product. <laughs> they are not the client. And so that um, relationship to content moderation is, is the case there. And I think we ought to think about that too as we feed um, algorithmic engines such as these art generators and other tools like that because indeed it's the case is the same there 
and we are providing labor and ingenuity and knowledge and and um, meaning making and all of these other things to an engine with unknown uh, outcomes, but probably not because they probably didn't build it because it's fun and cool for us to play with. That's probably not why. Yeah. Yeah. No. This is all. This is all great. And I think. I think the Twitter scandal or saga or whatever has exposed in some ways the importance of content moderation for a, a more general audience. I think more so than any other example before as advertisers pulled um, from the site, um, kind of no longer trusting, like you say, that it was going to be in any way, um, you know, you wouldn't want your product, I guess, in really plain terms next to uh, a, a tweet about supporting Nazism or whatever, right? So it's like a little bit simplified, but it was a little bit that lack of insurance that you your, your product or your service wouldn't appear alongside problematic, um, you know, by our definition, problematic, not by uh, Musk's definition, problematic. So that's well, interesting. Right. And there yeah. lies the rub, right? Yeah. And I think, um, you know, to that end, it's important to recognize um, this is my this is my take and thesis that I've tried to bring to the fore in in recent weeks in media uh, conversations and whenever I can do it. So I think I think we should do it here, which is to say that. What is happening on Twitter <clears throat> is incredibly unsophisticated and bumbling and very, very public. And it's also very, very rapid and accelerated. But it's happening all the time on all the platforms in every moment, in all the commercial platforms. These affordances and decisions and trade-offs and trading various things like group safety and individual safety and other kinds of, of, of you know, um, making economies out of these things happens all the time because that is what all of this is predicated on. And we just have a person who happens to be a complete imbecile making a, a mess of it very publicly, probably in many ways, to the frustration of other leaders in the space who are like, quit airing all the dirty laundry, right? Like he's, he's really exposing those things. And um, to go back to the, the notion of affect and where that resides here, for, for me, I've really had to uh, spend some time questioning my own personal engagement in commercial platforms because I know all of this. I'm, this is actually my job to know this stuff and to document it and to, to think about it and to share it. And I really suspended my own disbelief because Twitter was a value to me personally and professionally. It was where my community had gathered. Um, a number of overlapping communities had gathered of mine and I enjoyed it and, you know, laughed a lot <laughs> on Twitter and got mad a lot had all the, the gamut of emotions that these platforms intend to provoke in a person because it keeps you engaged. And, you know, I, I really have to ask myself, what was I doing? I, I knew better. And this potentiality of a person like a Musk figure, okay, on the one hand, it's unique and singular because he's supposedly the richest person in the world, which is like an obscenity all by itself. But, um, 
So in a way, like not many people could ride into town and purchase a platform like this, but let's think about it at a, at a smaller scale about how those things are operated and who decides and why they decide, well, there's a profit motive at the, at the root of this. You wouldn't know it to watch Musk, but there is. Um, I, I think he's rich enough and, and disassociated enough and narcissistic enough to maybe not care about that in some ways. Um, but everybody else does. And fundamentally, in theory, he does care too, which is why, um, you know, why he bought it as an asset in the first place. Um, so, so, I mean, it's, it's really brought me back to earth. And I think on a smaller scale, when we're thinking about um, the art generators or portrait generators or, or other kinds of fun, quote, quote unquote, fun um, AI experimentations, chatbots, whatever, uh, at a smaller scale, these um, just at a smaller scale because the projects are smaller, but the implications are not necessarily smaller, but at a smaller scale, those questions are are there and they're pertinent to like, again, for whom are these tools? Who is deciding? Who has framed the parameters of the tool? I think going back to content moderation, who, who labeled the training data and what were they told about that process? I really consider data labeling um, in the in the pantheon of content moderation activity, I consider it to be content moderation before the fact, whether it's, you know, looking at material before it hits a site on an individual basis or doing large scale data labeling for the purposes of, say, a machine learning algorithm that is trained on those data. Either way, I consider that a content moderation type of decision because it's a decision. It's a human discernment decision. And so very quickly, when we think about AI generation of anything, we are very much into a human discernment and a human um, uh, input conversation. We're, there, we're not talking about computers sort of acting alone as such. It's, it's very, very <laughs> directly connected to cre creators. And then very, very much predicated on input it receives from the rest of us. So um, con content moderation is right there with, with AI yeah, well, there's in every two, way. There's two ways we can think about that. One is um, like earlier, some of the points you were making, I was thinking, wow, wouldn't it be a good strategy actually of the left to put out a lot of really good um, information, let's say about the pandemic or public health, as a whole bunch of bots that are putting forward really good public health information, um, do we have to moderate out bots per se, or is it the information they convey, which is an interesting thing because you could, you know, are the set of rules based on this idea again of authenticity or of representation to say like, actually from Twitter, we get a sense that like 20% of people feel this, 80% of people feel this. And you get a sense of sort of like where we're at as a society, as a collective. Now, if you start bombarding sites or any kind of social media with uh, bots, and we see this more on the right side of the political spectrum than the left, but what if you were to start bombarding, you know, social media with really, really sort of progressive, uh, collectively oriented content, that would be something you wouldn't necessarily want to moderate out. And I think the flip side of this equation that we often see people who are um, 
really invested in 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 congress or like in the project of ai and i think that's shorthand maybe a little like problematic shorthand but like machine learning all of this the idea that ai and machine learning can manage content or can take the place of humans in content moderation i think that that's also really interesting and i think what you're exposing is actually first of all that it's it's not to moral ends, it's to uh, political slash capitalist ends. It's for advertisers, in short, and also that it's done by humans who <laughs> manually label uh, very culturally specific, in you know, in really culturally specific ways how this content um, sort of gets to roll or not. So I think there's something really interesting about sort of the politics uh, at the on the front end and the back end of this idea of moderation. So I don't know if you want to respond to to that. Yeah, let's um so hold the second piece. I'll come back to that. Um just on the on the notion of the first piece, I think it's very interesting to bring that idea up. I mean, one question I don't it's rhetorical, I don't have the answer to it. I think there are a lot of answers. Um one question is why doesn't the left implement that strategy that you just described? Um why not? Or does it, and we just don't recognize it as such because we think about bots in a very, like, you know, war Elon Musk, right? Uh, in 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 this inane way where there's this like um, incorrect decoupling of um, whatever the activity is that's the problem or the nature of the content from from its uh, point of origin. So he's talking about bots, but not bots aren't necessarily bad in, of, in and of themselves. I mean, a bot is an automated process doing something, right? So I'm thinking like, I don't know, the National Weather Service from the United States or something. I bet that they have a ton of automated material that circulates and they might retweet things or they might do, you know, have things to go at a certain time that are automated. That That's a bot. Um, I don't know, by the way, I, this is an example. Maybe they don't do this at all, but let's, you know, we can think of something. Let's just think of emergency services or something that's fairly neutral. Like most people want to know there's a fire um, or whatever, you know, uh, somewhere near them. Uh, evacuation information, whatever. Um, those could very well be bots, bot accounts, not really handled necessarily by um, a person constantly um, manually pushing content all the time or whatever. Uh, so just to ban bots, this is another point at which people in the know just said, what is he talking about? He doesn't even, he either doesn't know what he's talking about or he's very consciously trying to um, avoid saying what he really means. Um, again, either way, it's it's a play right out of the Trumpian uh, rhetorical handbook. And it's I, I've come to decide it's uh, it's irrelevant in terms of his own his own um, sense of why he's doing it. We have to deal with the, the 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 output and we have to deal with the outcome of it instead, because who wants to psychoanalyze this guy? The last thing I want to do is be inside his mind. Um, it's the last thing I want to do. I'm totally disinterested in, in that with Trump. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious to everyone that we're dealing with like narcissistic personality disorder. And if you've come across that in your life, these traits are very recognizable, you know, casual with the truth, um, uh, slippery, um, 
not not uh, bothered when when pinned on a, a a falsehood from the past or you know a a, a logical fallacy or a, a, you know complete lie. They just don't care. They just move on and shift to the next thing. So when he's talking about bots, I don't I don't think he 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 necessarily cares to pr- to to be more precise. I think um, I think the job goes to us. The question is, I mean, which, you know, so many things do with these these guys like this. They really pass the buck. Um, the question then is like, um, wh- what are those, why are those techniques more prevalent in one camp than the other? I think there's a lot of reasons. I think that, you know, uh, right-wing, uh, authoritarian, autocratic um, styles have, have, it correct that their potential audience responds well to repeated messaging that's simple, um, that is, you know, doesn't require a lot of uh, legwork to get into. These people bad, us good, you know, let's not actually analyze like the history of colonialism or what, like leave that all aside. We don't have to worry about that. Let's just say that they bad, we good. Um, you know, stuff like that. And then repeating the messages that are easy. You know, Trump is, is like the worst of all, like making up nicknames for people. I mean, it's so juvenile and yet it's like weirdly catchy. So, so you know, catchy, sticky ideas and concepts that are easily shared and repeatable. And, you know, a lot of times pretty obnoxious and offensive. And th- those are the things that um, register. And you kind of suggested, well, you know, bots on on the left of an issue, which again, it's sad that COVID has a right and left, but it does. Um, uh, You know, it's a disease, but we saw that with the AIDS crisis as well. And people died unnecessarily en masse during uh, the the height of that crisis in much the same way. Um, uh, You know, I don't think there's actually a ton of evidence that says if we provide truthful information, if truthful information is provided, and by truthful, I might mean, you know, scientifically valid information. Um, You know, I heard people talking about this about a week ago at at the Knight, Knight Foundation event, and they kept kind of suggesting, yeah, we just have to provide this truthful information. And I'm thinking, I'm sitting in the audience thinking like, I think the research says otherwise. I don't think it actually says that or confirms that. And certainly anecdotally, um, that isn't the case. So it's not even about the veracity of the, the messaging. There are other, there are other factors at play like, okay, um, the CDC from the United States is going to tweet out all kinds of information about COVID. But if there's a general mistrust of government agencies writ large, who cares what they have to say because they're the deep state, (laughs) you know? So um, I think that's like kind of a flaw in that, in that plan, or it's almost like you can't win if you're playing a game where all the rules of the house are set for the advantage of the house. Um, you know, it's like gambling at a casino and you go in and you know, the odds are against you. They're totally stacked against you. So if you go into a situation where all the research and all the evidence demonstrates that these messages are taken up more strongly by the right when they're repeated and, and simple and, um, you know, mean and whatever, um, then 
you know, that you're going to be ineffective in, in essence, because that is not that that's kind of a lost battle. Yeah, I think you're pointing some, to something really important in that, you know, if we even take sort of uh, climate discourses, like we mm-hmm. have enough information, we're not mm-hmm. acting on it on the left or the right. Right. And so the sense of just having accurate information, I guess, you know, when I was asking, I was just thinking in terms of like setting any kind of parameters around what we might sort of remove, you know, from yeah. circulation versus not. So there has to be some sort of like some sort of attempt at a shared reality. And there still needs to be yeah. a circulation of information that is, you know, in our society, like based in in, in science and other kinds of expertise. Um, on the other hand, I think you're also pointing to the importance of that affect slash emotion slash, I think people have defined this in terms of like, the sense of loss of status. There's like a real emotional register that everyone is ignoring because we don't like to talk about feelings like culturally, societally. Yeah. Like it, it seems like lesser than, right? We think, oh no, information, science, facts. But I think what we're sort of hitting on here is that actually if you don't address sort of like the identity crisis that forms the left and the right and that intensifying of the splintering between uh, those two extremes, if we don't tackle like sort of like, you know, I'm, I'm pointing at my heart here as we're talking and no one can see it, but just like there is something that we need to address that is very much about identity, about belonging. This is what we've seen sort of, you know, grow the right in the U.S. It's like it, they can't articulate for the most part any idea that they have that informs a kind of politics, but they know that they're with people who feel the same way, right? And right. I say feel the same way, not think the same way. So I think this is like, yeah. I totally, it. yeah, I totally agree with you there. And I will say that that is a reality in Canada as well, where you are and where I was for a time. And certainly where I was in Canada in particular, which was in Southwest Ontario, um, if people are unfamiliar with that area, but they're more familiar with the U.S., um, it is the other side of the Rust Belt. It is the it is it was the heart of manufacturing, auto manufacturing, heavy industry manufacturing. Um, Detroit, you know, it's it's the continuation of that uh, type of economy, and so therefore, uh, extremely depressed and economically uh, underprivileged uh, has not been able to transform into these new economic realities uh, that sociologists and others referred to as the information society or the knowledge society that that has not been a reality for most people in those regions you know akron ohio is another place that comes to mind for me when we talk about this this crisis of identity uh and so i i also agree that it's not enough to dismiss people on the basis of them being factually incorrect which they are um, without taking a larger analysis. For example, when QAnon first started happening, I mean, it's really frightening and messed up, obviously, but when it first started happening, my thought was that this is interesting in a sense because what people who fall into the QAnon hell pit are, are doing, they, they may not start out as virulently uh, homophobic, racist, transphobic, although that is where the ideologies um, of QAnon lead people eventually if they don't start there. But I think what is a shared commonality for people who fall, you know, who really fall victim to that kind of um, conspiracy theory, if you want to call it that, or, you know, set of beliefs, is that they feel aggrieved. And I think that feeling of grievance is actually correct 
it's just misplaced and without context. So what I really think they're, they're aggrieved about is capitalism and the inequities inherent in capitalism. But that is not language or an explanation that is typically accessible to people anymore. I can speak of the United States and the decimation, the utter decimation of public education in the United States over the past 40 to 45 years, certainly in my lifetime. I feel like I was one of the last uh, public school kids to receive an excellent education through the public school system in my community. I had a lot of things going for me uh, in terms of that, both from my own personal privilege and the kind of privileged nature of, of my community, which was the university town and um, the school, the particular school district I was in. But nonetheless, I know that even in the same circumstances, in the same city, in the same school district, that educational experience has really, really gone down. Um, we can't ignore the focus on STEM at the expense of things like history and social studies and civics, um, the arts in many cases, ironically. Uh, so so those, those are disciplines that give people the tools to complete an analysis that's more accurate about what has put them in the circumstances that they find themselves in that cause them to struggle. And I believe that if, if more people understood the history of this country, um, they understood the, so, the, the, the socio-political circumstances of the latter half of the, the 20th century, um, globalization, uh, capitals, insistence on chasing labor to its absolute cheapest um, exploitative uh, uh, expression of itself, wherever that is in the world, at the expense of people who used to be able to raise families on a uh, manufacturer's income, often on one person's income. Uh, you know, th there is something, there is a sense of loss. There is something to be angry about there, but it is misdirected. The people who who are responsible for that are not immigrants crossing the border um, on the southern side. By the way, I know a lot of illegal Canadian immigrants, by the way, when, when it comes down to it, but they kind of blend in in the U.S. and they don't suffer the same consequences. One, one of them was named Elon Musk. In fact, he overstayed his student visa. Uh, so anyway, um, but, you know, it's not people coming from the south who are coming here because their own economies and their own stability in their countries have been destroyed and decimated by machinations of um, the U.S. government on, on behalf of corporate interests. Um, those aren't the people who are responsible. They're the goddamn victims. You know, most people don't want to leave their home. They're not coming to the U.S. because it's so awesome. <laughs> That's not what they're doing. Um, you know, if they really wanted a, a, a better state uh, state system, they should keep going to Canada and get free health care, you know, although it's not free and everyone pays for it in Canada. But, um, you know, jokes aside, the point is that there there are things to be angry about and there are places to point the finger, but nobody has the tools to do it appropriately. And to do it, it's a complicated and longer analysis requiring more knowledge. And guess what? That's not as easy as calling someone rocket man or, you know, saying I'm going to remove the bots because that sounds really easy. And it sounds like if we just did that, then everything would come back um, and, and, and things would be fine. But uh, that's not the case. 
And mean, meantime, that Overton window, which is that concept of uh, sort of like where mainstream politics and political uh, um, affect in some ways sits and, and how that shifts uh, over time based on you know, a variety of, of factors, that Overton window keeps moving to the right. So it, it, things that were one time considered quite right wing and extreme are now like we wish for those days uh, because we're so far pushed to the right by, by so many of these things. Um, so, uh, yeah, I really I agree with you that there's we do have to we do have to contend with feelings on, on the right, which is ironic since uh, a lot of uh, right wing demagogues rallying cry is that facts don't care about your feelings. Um, but I think people on the right have a whole lot of feelings. They have a whole lot of feelings and then they assemble facts to, to fit their, the way they feel. Um, and social media and other tools are in the service of, of supporting that because it is profitable. Um, you know, we were going to talk something about uh, moderation. I can't remember what the second part of your question was. <laughs> Just now, the, the, the... I think, though, in addition to everything you just said, which was probably one of the best, like, articulations of, like, why we need a critical sort of education, by the way, like, I just was like, like, I have had many thoughts and feelings about this, but the way you just spelled it out, I was like, yes, whatever Sarah said, like, can we note <laughs> that down? Um, but I think just to come back, and I like, I'm looking at the time, and I like, I could talk to you all day, but I'm going to wrap it up. But maybe we can come back and just do like a wrap on two things. One is, you know, I wrote down aggrieved or grievance as the kind of like main sort of affect to come out of this conversation mixed a little bit with you know how you talk about twitter as something you did in the past so there's also um a regret and nostalgia sort of mixed in you know as like a kind of affect there or feeling there and then the the last thing i don't know if you want to come back to this but we i think in a way we've answered the question of the complexity as to why you wouldn't be able to use ai because AI is also powered by humans, but why you wouldn't be able to use AI to solve any of these problems. And I'm fascinated by this idea of, you know, what is trying to be fixed in in through these technological right. pursuits. Right. So, I, so that was the question we dropped, but I think we sort of answered it. Um, yeah. And, and, and you time. know, another thing that just happened with Twitter to sort of narrate in real time the the very crisis that we're discussing and the ambiguity of it um, one of things, one of the things Musk just did was drop uh, fact checking, essentially, of COVID-19 information on Twitter, uh, which was introduced by Twitter during the pandemic, and I think was probably a pretty significant public service. Um, and you know, a credit to the people inside of Twitter who kind of demanded that 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 it be implemented because they felt a certain way, speaking of feelings, about the tools they were building being used to essentially kill people, you know, drink bleach, um, don't get boosters, don't get shots, just roll the dice, you know, I, they, they had real problems with that kind of um, total demonstrable lies being spread on the platform. Um, one of the things I, I, I think, though, behind Musk's uh, bogus ideology is that it costs 
to employ people to do that and to make those discernments. And you have to have people who have certain knowledge and threshold and the ability to um, do those kinds of um, uh, decision-making processes at scale with speed uh, over and over again. It, it's, it's, it's like higher level content moderation with spe specialty and expertise. And yeah, I guess he probably doesn't wanna pay for that. I imagine he doesn't want to pay for that. So, you know, I look at the decisions he's making through the lens of him cheaping out, you know, uh, just like his shitty cars that you, the seams don't match up and they're put together very shoddily and, and they catch on fire. I mean, that's not because that's the best design decision. It's because it's cheap and because he's cheap. Mm -hmm. And it's cheap, but it's also a way to say that that nuance especially of any kind of emotional register for assessing anything like deeply human is it's sort of like an inconvenience to him mm -hmm. and it's sort of right like there's something yeah. really about not wanting to admit that compared to any sort of technological or engineering problem dealing with human politics and human affect and feeling is infinitely more complex and can't it, be solved by technology it, it is and it cannot and I, I'm, I've got news for all of these, um, you know, nerds in, in Silicon Valley who want to get rich by creating apps in the social space. Like you should go learn something about society before you do that, because you're dealing with human beings. Human beings are not like having vehicles on an assembly line. It is much more complicated than building rockets, in fact. Um, you know, if there is a flaw with your rocketry design, you can pause the launch. How do you pause human behavior when that isn't when that's the product? And when, when you've taken you've stupidly hamstrung yourself and taken all the controls away from yourself. And as to the point of, you know, it not being possible to be automated, even when it's automated, it's still humans, as we were talking about in the beginning. It's all human decision making um, and algorithmic. Um, abstraction that is created and built by humans that goes into making the automated tools that are used in content moderation. There are there are automated tools, of course, that are used, but they're always in conjunction with human oversight. And the development of those tools is uniquely human. So anytime we're talking about computers and computation, there is a human aside of that machine. There's humans who built it. There's humans who mined for the resources for it, um, you know, probably in conflict zones uh, for, for no money. Um, there's, you know, there's humans who disassemble it when it's no longer of use. And there are humans who program every aspect of that. Programming languages, again, being abstractions of, of, of human expression, um, at least how they are written today. Um, you know, with with natural language and, and other kinds of things like that. So I would I, I think it's really important for everyone listening to understand that taking social problems of any kind and suggesting that um, computers specifically and STEM solutions, generally speaking, are the best answer or even a viable answer or solution to those problems, complex, multi-threaded, historically instantiated structural problems. Again, why does the right 
get so exercised over critical race theory, well, in part because it talks about structural problems that have existed over time, and they're very resistant to those ideas. And they probably don't want people to look under the covers for what other problems are, are at a structural level, like economic inequality. Um, uh, but, but, you know, anytime you hear those kinds of solutions being proposed, first of all, check to see if they actually exist, because they probably don't. They're aspirational at their core. They're always just a little bit down the road, right? We're just gonna, we're just gonna use this, this, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of content moderation people till we get to the point where we can switch over to computers. Um, okay, that's I've been hearing that for 15 years, and I know that it's not possible. So why, why the investment then in that story in that fairy tale? Well, because in a lot of ways it it delivers people who ought to be responsible from responsibility by putting it somewhere else, in this case on computers and machines and algorithms, as if those are not also expressions of humanity in their at their core. And, um, you know, it satisfies ideologically the desire for those people, again, to go to affect and feeling. It satisfies their feeling that they understand how to frame problems and also have the best solutions to answer it. In other words, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. But you know what? I don't want you to come hammer on my head when I have a headache, right? Like that is not a solution that makes sense. So these are, these are ill-purposed solutions to problems that are poorly defined by people who don't have the skills or requisite knowledge to define them. And that fucks us all over, if I may. You can bleep that out if you want, but that's no what way. it does. That's a perfect way to <laughs> yeah. wrap up like the whole affect of the thing, you know, like I think there's a sense of frustration, but I think what we've been able to do in the conversation is to, you know, I didn't think we were going to resolve like all the world's problems uh, <laughs> here today. Um, yeah. But I think like, you know, what I'm hoping to do is a series that explores in a very sort of you know, conversational way with experts, people really invested in the current anxieties around technology, just like we did. And so I'm hoping that, you know, in conversation with each other, uh, you know, we can start strategizing a little bit um, uh, about all of this. And I think you've identified some some key threads that, you know, you know, new researchers could take and run with to to kind of like explore. So I don't know yeah. if you have any final thoughts on that, but yeah. well, I, I mean, I think I appreciate your um, call, like your call to action. Like the, the next question is like, how do we implement or what is the praxis? Where does, where does our practice meet our, our theoretical positions or like, how can we, um, how can we activate as they say in the art world, how can we activate um, our knowledge to, in the service of, of humanity and the planet and, the animals and, and plant life that that are here on planet Earth that I, um, you know, that I feel we have done wrong by every day. Um, and, and I think a couple things have to be in place. I think, we, you know, we have to disabuse ourselves of the idea that things are cost free or friction free. And this is why I like Mastodon, because um, it, which is not a solution for everyone. I'll just say that outright, but I like it because it reminds me that there's some work I have to do to have the social media experience I want. And I mean that both in like my participation, but I also mean like, how about I set up my own server? 
You know, how about I remember how to do um, some of the technological things that I know I'm capable of because I can follow directions like, you know, or I can teach myself or I can get with a friend who's done X, Y or Z thing. This is how I learned how to work computers in the first place. I remember the first time I installed a stick of RAM into a computer and I felt like I was a fucking hacker. I FTP'd a file once and I thought, oh my God, I'm a total hacker and a computer genius and I know what's going on. You know, so this is like, and it's funny, right? It's funny now, but there's like no friction. You don't have to know anything about what you're doing on whose system, you know, the the adage in cloud computing, um, like critical cloud computing is that the cloud is just somebody else's computer, right? So we we don't see those, we don't see those, um, those, uh, boundaries and we need to see them and we need to encounter them and feel them again to your point of affect it's so interesting because I don't think I, I I tell myself I usually don't deal in affect but of course I do all the time and you reminding me of that and then the, uh, the other thing is um, I think there are a lot of people with a lot of creative ideas and we need a multiplicity of those ideas and people put onto the task of how do we actually foment and create spaces that respect better the needs of people. And that's why it has to be so multifaceted and with so many um, potential uh, uh, implementations of what that might look like. Because again, putting 2 billion people on one platform, fundamentally not a good idea. A bad idea. Do you want to throw a party with 2 billion people coming? I don't. Sounds like hell. It's a bad idea. And then with one like king to rule them all? I don't think so. Yeah, so I'll leave it there. Yeah, it's a horrible visual to leave on, but it's also, I think, perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, thank you so much again for participating in this. And, uh, you know, I'll hit the stop record button in a sec. And then I'll put a bunch of links, you know, to your book, to anything you want in uh, the show notes, which is what right. you know, podcasters say. So I'm one of them now. Um, yeah, so cool. Stop and, um, yeah, Thanks, again, Mel. thank you so much.